Our scripture reading this morning is from Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. And if you'd like to follow along, it is printed on the back of the bulletin this morning. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that of the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. May the Lord's word be a blessing to you this week. Before I get too far into this, a couple of quick notes. Title of the sermon this morning, Joy, It's All in the Attitude, may not come across as very patriotic, but I did work in well, actually, I didn't even have to work it in. I started off with, there is a baseball allegory in here, so we got the American part down. And whenever we're talking about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, one of the things we're talking about is the freedom that he gives each and every one of us. And I think you'll find that thread running throughout here. The second thing I wanted to note is, when I was talking to my wife about the fact that I was going to preach and and the sermon title that I was working on and where it came from and, and that kind of stuff, she kind of looked at me and she goes, wait, you're preaching about joy? Are, are you sure you want to do that? It's like, yeah, well, this is where we're going with it, so hold on, it'll be a fun ride. I think it's pretty safe to say that we all want to be happy. We've each experienced happiness at one point or another in our lives, and and I think it's also fairly safe to say that we'd prefer to be happy rather than unhappy in any given situation. And the theme of Paul's letter to the Philippians, a church that he was really, really closely connected with, one of the main themes is joy despite any circumstance. He also talks about unity and, and some other items, but, but joy is one of the key themes that he has for this letter to them. The ability to have joy, even when times don't call for rejoicing, also echoes passages that we read in the Bible, such as rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The question is, how do we do it? How can we be joyful when all around us is chaos? Now, it may not seem obvious, but Paul's given us the answers to these questions. First, though, I'd like to mention a story about Lou Gehrig. Told you baseball, right? Now, Lou was dying a slow, tragic, and painful death from ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And very, very shortly before his death, Lou Gehrig called his friend Bob Considine. He said, hey, Bob, I've got great news. The boys in the lab have come up with a new serum, and they're trying it out on 10 of us. 
and nine out of the ten it's working well on. Well, naturally, Bob Considine asked him, well, Lou, is it working on you? Lou answered, well, no, but nine out of ten, how do you like those odds? He was really, really joyful about the fact that nine out of the ten were getting help, were responding well to treatment, even though he was the one, the only one that wasn't. So where does joy like this come from? I want to give you a little heads up on this. We're going to go back a step. And at the very beginning of this chapter, Paul kind of starts off a little bit and gives us where this is coming into. So I'm going to read to you from this. He starts off, he says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And then the verse that started our passage off this morning, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. See, the verses that follow have also uh, often been argued as, a, as being an ancient hymn or part of an ancient hymn. But they're also one of the clearest and most direct descriptions of the deity, humility, and work of Jesus Christ that exists in the Bible. Paul also shows how the example that Jesus gave us can lead to the joy that we each can have when we follow him. No, Paul hasn't provided it in a step-by-step format, but he leaves that for us to glean through his words. And I see in this passage three building blocks that God, through the example of Jesus Christ, has given us, which will inevitably lead to joy, no matter what the circumstances we find ourselves in. And that's what I'd like to share with you today. The first block begins with the fact that our attitude must start from who we truly are. Let me say that again. Our attitude must start from who we truly are. I mean, look at verse 6. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God something to cling to. He was God. He is God, a member of the Trinity. Paul uses the Greek word morphe when he's talking about existing in the form of God. And it's not meaning just shape or form. The Logos Exegetical Guide puts it this way, and I really love this quote. It is the expression of something that reflects or manifests fully and truly and permanently the essence of what something is. It's not just shape or form. It's not just something that looks like. It's the essence of who Jesus Christ is. 
it is who he is. Not just from the beginning, before the beginning, and after, and for all time. He doesn't have to hold on to it. The sense that Paul is talking about here when he talks about holding on, uh, holding on or clinging to, it's a sense here about something being grasped for one's personal gain. Which also goes back to his, verse in, uh, his words in verse 3 where Paul talks about trying not to be selfish or impressing others. Having the attitude of Christ is the very opposite of having selfish ambition and empty glory. And even though we cannot truly grasp the full reality of who Jesus is, good news is he can. And in him we learn to be who we truly are as the adopted children of our God. The more we know who we truly are, the more our attitude is grounded in a reality that does not change which brings confidence and the ability to move forward in a positive direction, the freedom to move forward in a positive direction, regardless of how unstable the world around us is. Another way of saying it is that knowing who we truly are allows an attitude that motivates positive action. And thus our second building block is that our attitude must motivate positive action. Our attitude must motivate positive action. So looking again at our text and going down to verse 7, instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. Now in the Greek, the New Living Translation puts it the position of a slave. The actual Greek term used was the form of, or again, morphe, of a servant or slave. It's the action of self-sacrifice. In the Greek, giving up his divine rights, he's, he actually, it actually translates to he emptied himself. He didn't become not God. But he came down and became as a man, as a slave. Reliance on God, not self, with an attitude of trust and thankfulness. An example of how we should be living. And the action of servanthood. Divine love entered into our history in the form of a servant the position of a slave, taking on the role of a slave for the sake of others. Again, with Amorphe, it's not either or, but both and. He was the highest and the lowest. Again, without becoming not divine or losing his divinity or becoming separate from the Trinity, Jesus became also fully human. and dwelt among us. Positive action by living among others. He was born as a human being. Other translations have it, he was made in the likeness of men. 
going back to the Greek schema, it's appearance versus form. And it speaks of living in community. He came and dwelt among us, shared our lives, our experience, what it meant to be truly human. Likewise, his motivation for positive action was in humility and obedience. Very key in verse 8. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. To be humbled is to behave in an unassuming manner, generally done willingly, not forced or coerced. We often look at humility as something that's forced on us, though, from human perspective. Now we can recognize no one is stronger than God. And with that, humility now is something that is a free choice of God for us. And also in obedience. Jesus was obedient, but not guilty. He traded in our sin for his grace. And we became adopted children, sharing in his divine inheritance. He was not only obedient when it was comfortable, but always. Even to death on the cross. And a lot of times we sit and think about this with, from a human perspective, with human eyes. We think of the pain and the torture for us as mortals, nailed to a tree, hanging, suffering, and finally dying. But Jesus knew where he was going. Not from faith, but because he had been there. He'd experienced heaven. He knew he was going home. Not only that, he knew eternity. Knows eternity. Then and now. It wasn't just a physically painful death. It was a death that carried the burden of all sin. The sin of every man, woman, and child, covered in his blood from the beginning of Adam and Eve down to the very last moment before he returns. The metaphor I use is my penny to the world's deficit. He took it all. And none of it for his glory. But rather for the glory of Father in heaven. His example shows how taking positive action, that knowing who we truly are allows, in humility and obedience, allows us to give God the glory. The byproduct of which is giving us the joy. Which brings us to our third block. An attitude of humility and obedience gives God the glory and us the joy. Again, an attitude of humility and obedience gives God the glory and us the joy. Looking at the text again, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names.
We give God the glory by exalting Christ. God elevated him, or highly exalted him, depending on the translation. Interestingly enough, it's the only time this phrase is ever used in the New Testament, and only towards Jesus. And going back to the Greek, also we're talking not just about something of a position, not like the CEO of a company, but rather elevating him to the highest possible degree. Not out of sight, but magnified as much as possible. It ties into verses like Psalms 40, verse 16, that says, Let all those who seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. We're also in Philippians. So now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. We give God the glory by acknowledging the deity and the lordship of Jesus. In verse 10, he talks about every knee shall bow. And to bow the knee is to recognize that the one before us is worthy of that acknowledgement. And he classifies everyone in three ways to make sure he encompasses everyone. Those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth. He's looking forward to that one day when no one will be able to deny or ignore who Jesus is. Acknowledging it now within our everyday lives by our attitudes and the behaviors that they motivate us to exhibit gives glory to our merciful and loving God, allowing us to experience once again the joy of living under his grace. By confessing Jesus, we give God the glory. Verse 11, every tongue, every person, every language, Once again, Paul is including all of us, past, present, and future. Acknowledging that the Lord is Jesus Christ, the line of demarcation between believer and non-believer. Or to put it like 1 Corinthians chapter 12, no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. And back in Roman times, those who persecuted the Christians had a phrase, the Lord is Caesar. It's a Roman test phrase to check the loyalty of its citizens. So when a Christian insisted that Jesus is Lord, he meant that Jesus, not Caesar, was divine. Going back to Paul's text, this is the final confession of who Jesus is. And it won't be a conversion process. This isn't belief by faith, but final acknowledgement of the truth that has fully been revealed. And he ends the phrase, the passage, to the glory of God the Father. It all points to him. It points to Jesus as the ultimate model of the self-sacrificing love to which he has called the Philippians and us to demonstrate through humility and obedience. 
And I'm sure you've heard me say this a few times. It's not about us. It's about him. Giving him the glory, we get to share in the joy. This reminds me of of times when we sit in, in the pews. And we're in a church service. And if you just close your eyes and you think back in your mind to a time where you've been singing a hymn, maybe a praise hymn, maybe an old hymn that you grew up with, fully in the moment, right there in the presence of God, the complete joy, the utter peace that you felt. Making connection. Giving God the glory, the joy that pours out on us. He gave his life for us. And now we get to give our lives to him. Now I've got a quote here from Andrew Murray, and it's a little bit long and and wordy, so you'll have to stick with me on this one, but it's really good. Humility is perfect quietness of heart. It is for me to have no trouble, never to be fretted or vexed or irritated or sore or disappointed. It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret and be at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around is trouble. It is the fruit of the Lord Jesus Christ's redemptive work on Calvary's cross manifested in those of his own who are definitely subject to the Holy Spirit. Now, while we don't know much of anything about Lou Gehrig's personal faith, his humility, his love, and his interest in others, most importantly, his joy at their benefit despite his own trials and loss, reminds us that it is possible to follow the guidance that that Christ provided in the example and reap the benefit of joy for ourselves that comes by living in and through and for him. Now that you know the way to experience joy, no matter what the circumstances, what will you do with that? Will you humble yourself and call on him today as your Lord and Savior? Will you live for him? Leaving behind your selfish ambition, pride, vanity, Will you trade the glory in the eyes of men for the glory of God? Will you have the attitude that Christ Jesus had? Because if so, then like Paul, you too can learn to have joy and be content in all things, in all situations, no matter the circumstances. Because joy is all in the attitude. And if you've come here today and you're not a member of this church, 
or you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, we invite you to come forward. Pastor Rick will be down front. If you just need some prayer or someone to talk to, please, we invite you to come forward. But in all things today, remember that in Christ we have the freedom, we have the ability to have the attitude that motivates us to positive action in humility and obedience, giving God the glory and thereby us the joy.